Hello. Hi, my name is Cody Richard. I know most of you, but not all of you. I'm the guest services director here at Northwood Church. I love my job. I love my church. I love my community. I'm passionate about seeing others realize and reach their maximum potential. And tonight, I'm excited to get to share with you. Uh, Pastor Mike, who's regularly speaking, is on vacation or staycation this week. So he'll be here next week. But tonight, you get to hear from me. Sound good? All right, so let, let, let's start out. Let's just pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to join us tonight. Um, Father God, we thank you so much that uh, first off, we get to do this. Uh, we're not persecuted for this. We're not put in jail for this. We're not beaten for this or, or excommunicated for doing what we do. Uh, that we have this amazing building, this location, uh, and this community who embraces us. Uh, God, I pray that, that, that today we wouldn't take that for granted. Uh, I pray we would open our hearts, uh, even myself, uh, just to, to hear what your word would speak tonight. Uh, I pray that we would just get quiet enough to hear what you would say. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, tonight we're going to be talking about a light and cheery subject of heartbreak. How to handle heartbreak. Um, it's actually not that fun. We, we, we hear about... <laughs> We, we, we hear about heartbreak, though, on a regular basis. It's, it's all throughout pop culture. Movies, books, TV shows, music, heck, even Taylor Swift's entire discography is built off of heartbreak. Um, and so when I was studying about heartbreak, I decided to look in the wisest place I could find. So I looked at Urban Dictionary um, <laughs> and found a definition of heartbreak. I don't encourage you to go on Urban Dictionary, but if you do, it's fun sometimes. Um, this, bear with me because it's not short. I'm just going to read it because I could not memorize this. Um, I assume someone named uh, Susie or some extremely valley girl name wrote this because it's the voice I'm going to read in. Okay. <clears throat> so heartbreak is the worst feeling in the world. And you don't know how painful it feels until you experience it. It feels like your heart is literally breaking, like it's shattered into a million pieces, and you feel empty and lonely, and it makes you want to not live anymore. It happens when the person you love lied to you or left you, and they don't love you or care about you, and it hurts as hell uh, because you can't get over them, and all you want is them. You can't sleep because you're crying too much, and all you think about is them, and you can't get them out of your head, and no matter how hard you try, it feels like the world is coming to an end, and you don't know what to do anymore, like there's no point in living, and it feels like there's no one to talk to, and that nothing ever can make you feel happy again. This is honestly the worst and most horrible feeling in the whole world, and I would rather have fallen out of a tree and broken both of my arms. So, yeah, I feel good about that. Um, that's, that, that's what she thinks heartbreak is. I'm assuming it's a she. Uh, if it's a he, God bless him. Um, but, but we're, we're going to talk about a, a different kind of heartbreak today. Uh, and it's kind of the core of what heartbreak is. Um, it's very simple. It's when there used to be hope. It's a feeling that you had hope and now it's gone and what do you do? Whether you've been through one kind of heartbreak or another kind of heartbreak, it's kind of the core of all heartbreaks. It, what, what joins them together is the loss of hope. 
And so I'm going to share with you my first heartbreak that I can remember. Um, I was in sixth grade, and it was 10 days before Christmas break, and I started dating my first girlfriend. I'm not going to tell you her name in case she listens to this, which she probably won't. But uh, I, I started dating her, and I actually wasn't allowed to date at the time. I knew that good and well. I, I knew the rules. Um, but Christmas break was coming up, and we told each other we were going to exchange gifts the last day of school before Christmas break ended. So the day before that, I think like, okay, I'm in sixth grade. I have no money, no car, and no way of getting a gift for this girl. I can't make anything by hand because I'm not that skilled. So I need to tell someone that can help me. So I told my brother and sister, and they were so nice to tell me, okay, well, you're going to have to tell dad. It's like, I don't want to. So I told my mom. And she said, okay, well, you're going to have to tell your dad. <laughs> I was like, ugh. So I remember that night, um, uh, we're all at church, and everyone goes home. And I get in the car with dad, and I tell him. And he was actually very fair. He didn't tell me, you know, this, you're a bad person. It's the worst thing in the world. Uh, he gave me some very great advice, which I'm not going to share right now. Um, but long story short, he said, you need to break up with her tomorrow at school. So I get to school, and if you remember that time of your life, you're, you're in the class, and they're watching movies because all the tests are done, and she walks up to my desk and slaps a box covered in SpongeBob SquarePants wrapping paper on my desk, and I open it up, and it's a $50 bottle of Jake Cologne from Hollister, and I was, it was lit. I mean, I thought it was the best thing in the world. Uh, I had no idea what to say, uh, especially because I knew I was about to break up with her. So I did what any guy would do, and I told her a lie. I said, my parents are going to drop us off at the movies and take us out to dinner, and we're going to get to go on a date. That's your Christmas gift. And she said, oh, thank you so much. I love that. It's the best thing you could ever got me. And anyways, I get uh, after school, I go to my dad's car. He's picking me up that day, and he said, how'd it go? And I pull out the box. <laughs> he said, so, you know, she let you keep it or did you break up? I was like, no. He said, okay, well, I need you to go break up with her. I'm going to watch. And so <laughs> you, you can see it from the car. I, I, I've never asked you what it was like watching this. But I get, <laughs> I, I, I get out from the car and, and I walk over uh, to her with a bottle of cologne and, and I hand it to her and I say, I'm sorry. My dad said I had to break up with you, uh, which there's really no good explaining that. Uh, she said, no, keep it. It was really emotional. I got to keep the cologne. I was super stoked about that. Um, but then turns out I went home with dad, and she told everyone that I broke up with her because I thought she was fat. Um, <laughs> and so in a way, my heart was kind of broken though, like even at that, that stage, I felt like, you know, my world is coming to an end, and I had no idea how to come to grips with it in my 11-year-old brain. Uh, I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me, and then now everyone in my grade hated me. Uh, how is this ever gonna, gonna be okay? Um, long story short, guys, that's my wife right there. She's much better. Um, I can buy my own cologne now. It was a running joke for years that every time I ran out of cologne, I should just date her again, see, you know, if she got me some. But 
that didn't work out. Um, so tonight we're actually going to walk through a part of scripture. Uh, it's found in chapter 11 of the book of John. You guys can turn there if you want. Some of it's going to be on the screen. It's an amazingly rich um, section of scripture. So I challenge you guys, go read it at home. I'm going to work on 44 verses, which if you know verses, that's a lot of verses. So I'm going to read the front end, paraphrase the middle, and then read the back end. And we're going to work off that. Sound good? Okay. Um, So we can kind of turn there. It'll be up on the screen too if if you're trying to look for it. I'm going to turn to my Bible and read. So bear with me because I'm going to stop along the way. It's kind of how I read personally. Um, So verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a messenger to him saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we'll stop there real quick because uh, I think there's something really important here. One, they don't even tell him that Lazarus is sick. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. So there's something important there is Jesus knows, right? He knows who he loves. He knows exactly who he loves. He knows exactly what they're talking about. Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, Verse four. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not go, uh, will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And we'll stop there again. Okay, so, so I think it's interesting that it didn't say Jesus loved that family, right? It says Jesus loved Martha, her sister, some translations say Mary, and Lazarus. He loved them individually, okay? That's going to be important as we continue on. Let's keep going. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then, after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus continues on in in verse 9, where he explains to them the difference between living in the dark and the light, and and how uh, he's basically just not scared. And he also understands that Lazarus' death is not the end for Lazarus. And so if he dies, it's not the end for him. So, so Jesus has this eternal perspective that the disciples don't really have yet because they're still thinking this guy's gonna come. He's just gonna free us from all these Romans who are hating on us. He's gonna elevate himself as a king. We're gonna get to be like his dudes. We're gonna be super rich after this. But they, they don't really get it yet. And so Jesus, uh, they, they make some comments, and Jesus levels with them, and he says, all right, guys, cut the crap. We're going, okay? And then, and then in chapter 16, it says something really interesting. Thomas, one of his disciples, does something. So Jesus says, we're going, even though it's dangerous, and Thomas says, all right, guys, uh, let's go. Come on, we're all going to die, which is petty. Um, and Jesus sees through the pettiness. He doesn't, he doesn't even respond to it. They go anyways, right? So we're going to continue on. So they're on their way 
to Bethany. They're on their way to the city, which is about two miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, And on their way, when, when they get close by, Martha, one of the sisters of the dead guy, comes out and says, hey, Lazarus is dead. And she says, but I know if you had been there, he wouldn't be, right? And how, how many times have we felt that personally? That hope is gone. But I know if Jesus would have been here, I know if Jesus would have done something, it wouldn't be. Where was God? And that's what we think Martha's saying, but she doesn't stop there. She continues on. She says, but I know it's not the end for Lazarus. She knows something the disciples don't even know yet. And she, and Jesus says, yeah, well, I'm actually here to save souls and not just bodies. And she says, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. You are the son of God, which is something even more radical because that's why the Jews wanted to stone Jesus in the first place was because he claimed to be the son of God. So Martha not only says, Jesus, I'm hurt. She says, I know that you're still God. And she goes beyond that. And she says, I'm going to step out from my community. I'm going to step out from what people are telling me. And I'm going to believe in you anyways. Right? There's powerful faith in that. We don't see that literally anywhere else in Scripture. There's one other time where someone recognizes Jesus as the Lord and Savior before his death and resurrection. It's very, very rare. And so Jesus, recognizing her faith, sends her back and says, send your sister. Mary comes. Mary, we've actually seen two other times in Scripture. Every single time we see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. She approaches Jesus and throws herself at his feet. And she says the same thing, but in a different tone. She says, Jesus, if you had only been there, but I still love you. There's hurt. There's questions. There's doubt. Maybe there's anger. But she's moving past it to recognize her faith in Jesus, even if it's small right now, is still something worth holding on to. Okay? So we're gonna move, we're, we're gonna move through that um, to verse 33, and it'll be up on the screen. It says, uh, or no, it won't be. I took it out. <clears throat> it says, when Jesus saw her crying, um, and the Jews who had come to her were crying, he was deeply moved and his spirit was troubled. Where have you put him? Jesus asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And and then the shortest verse in all of scripture comes next in verse, sorry, uh, chapter 11, verse 35, where it says, Jesus wept. Now, uh, until studying this, there was uh, a lot of questions as to why Jesus was crying Um, And some people will say it was because he was sad for Lazarus dying. And I thought about that, and that didn't make sense because Jesus just said he's not going to die. This isn't the end for him. I'm going to raise him again, right? So Jesus isn't sad because Lazarus is dead because he knows Lazarus in a couple hours is about to be alive. He's standing outside the tomb where he's about to walk out. So Jesus probably isn't sad about that. Is Jesus sad because others are sad? Maybe. But he knows they're about to be happy again soon. 
I, I found something really interesting when I was studying this. And someone said, these were most likely angry tears. And, and I understand this kind of anger. Uh, in January 2015, I got to go on a trip with Ryan Belk, uh, my dad, and a couple other people to Uganda. And we're in Uganda. And I remember we went to this village who hadn't had clean water. Uh, at all. They had a water pump in the village that was at a mosque. They had a water pump in the village that was near some bathrooms. That if you drank from either one, you were going to get sick. And then if you traveled to a cleaner water source through some fields in the middle of the night, you were still going to get sick, but you thought it might be cleaner. And, and we found out that the, the girls, the young girls traveling at night because men weren't going to do the work, traveling at night through these fields in pitch dark, waiting for hours to get water, which is something we take for granted. If they were young enough to not have a sexually transmitted disease, an older man would pull them out of line into the field and rape them. If that happened in North Charleston or Somerville or Monk's Corner, I would be killing people <laughs> for doing what they're doing. I would be. It ticked me off. Because I knew that there's a solution to the problem they're facing. I knew if they only had clean water, <laughs> they wouldn't be being raped, right? It, it, one simple solution brings the solution to many other issues that are so dire and so grave. And I think Jesus understood, I'm that solution, and they're facing death, and heartbreak, and if they only knew what was around the corner. I think Jesus is ticked right now. Um, we're going to continue. Uh, verse 39. <clears throat> so Jesus says, remove the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me because you know you always, because I know you always hear me. Um, but because the crowd is standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. That's a wild story, right? Something if we saw today on CNN, we might not believe, honestly. If we saw it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, we would question the source. But if you're standing there and you smell the stench, right? You see the bandages. You know this guy who was literally dead for the past three days is now walking amongst us. There's no disbelieving that, right? So this is such a powerful miracle that it's actually, if you continue on to read in verse uh, chapter 11 and, and further, it's probably the reason why people decide to crucify Jesus in the first place. 
This is, they couldn't wrap their brains around this. And, and Jesus does something, and, and I want to tell you another story from my life that kind of wraps up how we see Jesus act from verse 1 to verse 44 um, and how, how he meets us in our heartbreak. Um, this story, I was 12, turning 13, uh, a little bit older than my first heartbreak, but not much. Uh, it's 2008. I was heading into eighth grade. I remember we were going on a missions trip to Mexico City. The whole family was. It's a trip we'd been on before, and there was some um, heaviness in our hearts for different reasons. Uh, it was the day before the trip. Everyone's getting packed, and my family, without going into much detail, we all know how to pack real well for, for missions trips. So even at 12, I knew how to pack my own bags. Um, but for some reason, I can't remember exactly why, I needed some help or some attention. And I remember going to my brother and my sister and, and trying to get their attention, but they were busy. I remember going to my mom, and she was busy. I remember going down and trying to talk to my dad, and he was busy. And... Um, I actually remember where everyone was in the house at the time. And I went into my room and closed the door. And I felt alone, which is really weird for me because I'm pretty independent. Um, and I remember hearing a lie in my head. And, and I can't not call it a lie. But I remember hearing this thought say, if you were gone, they wouldn't even notice and that one thought stuck with me for the better part of the next decade of my life. Into my marriage, into my friendships. I remember uh, weird things like showing up at youth group and thinking if I wasn't here, they wouldn't know. I remember graduating high school and no one I graduated with showed up at my graduation party. Might have been because I wasn't a nice guy. Might have not been that. I don't know. But feeling lonely and empty. Um, I remember being out in, in Oklahoma at college and thinking, if, if I just died tonight, no one would care. Everyone would go on in a week. No one would remember me. Feeling so insignificant and alone, there was a, a hope that died that day, uh, June 24th, it was two days before my birthday. I remember clearly what it feels like when hope's gone. And, and we see this happen with Mary and with Martha, with the family, that Lazarus is dead. He's not coming back. Never before had they seen someone dead not be dead anymore. <laughs> Right, And for four days, which I'll give you a little historical context, for four days in Jewish tradition, they believed that for three days, someone's soul would actually sit on top of their bodies and wait. And then at the fourth day, it would leave. And the body would start to decompose. Four days is gone. Ten years is gone. And, and, and I remember... Um, 
I remember it, it was the middle of the night um, and that thought's coming back to me. And I have my wife on one side of me and the door on the other thinking I could get my car and drive off and no one would care. And how dumb is that? Honestly, how silly is that? But I felt it. And this is exactly what happened in that moment. I did something I hadn't done ever. Is I actually realized that my faith was something worth holding on to in that moment. That when I thought my life wasn't, my faith was enough. Because it wasn't my faith in me. It wasn't my faith in my wife or my family or my church or my friends. It was my faith in the only thing that can give you true hope. When Jesus came back, he didn't come to raise Lazarus from the dead so Lazarus could live for forever. Lazarus is dead right now, guys. <laughs> He's in the ground. He's rotten, long gone. 2,000 years, Lazarus has been dead. But I believe... He's living in eternity with God right now. And when we don't have an eternal mindset, when we don't realize the, the reality of Jesus and not just the idea of him, we miss out on the relationship he wants to have with us. It's the most real, most valuable thing we can ever experience. Um, here's what Jesus didn't do, okay? Um, he didn't shame me for not turning to him first. We see that when he talks to Mary and Martha, right? He doesn't shame them for saying, if you had just been here, or for not fully understanding all the time exactly what his methods were, what he was doing in their hearts and their lives. He didn't scold me for harboring doubt and anger. Not once did he guilt me for wasting 10 years on a lie, right? And he didn't make me feel stupid for believing the lie. It wasn't my unintelligence that made me believe the lie. It was my lack of eternal mindset, right? I was human. Get that. <laughs> Gosh. But here's, here's the hope in this, okay? Here's what he did do, and this is the model exactly from... What we just read. He loved me personally and intimately. We see that at the beginning of the chapter when he talks about he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Not just the family. Not just the Christians. Not just the Jews. He loved me. He saved me. He died for me. He came into my mess instead of preaching at me from a distance. Something, honestly, in those 10 years of my life, a lot of people did. They, they saw me, maybe they even recognized something's off in that kid, and they threw a verse at me, or they took me out to lunch, but they didn't step into my mess. Not, 
not the way Jesus did. <laughs> Maybe for a season, but, but, but not the way he did. He, he stepped into my heart. He ignored my pettiness the way he ignored Thomas's pettiness, right? He didn't even mention it. He didn't even talk about it. He went back and, and, and he wept for me. Probably angry tears. Not at me, but at the pain. At the fact that I even had to go through that. The same way it ticks me off that even today as there's water in that village, clean water in that village we went to now by the glory of God. It's happening all over the world. And then to finish off, he healed it despite every obstacle I put in front of him. It wasn't Jesus that made me feel how I felt. It wasn't Jesus that made Lazarus die. It wasn't Jesus that brought sickness into the world or that made you and your boyfriend break up or your divorce happen or your parents' divorces happen. It wasn't Jesus that made you lose your job. It wasn't Jesus that made you feel that test. But let me tell you this, it was Jesus who was standing and waiting to be recognized in the heartbreak. The whole time. Um, the band's gonna come up and, and they're gonna sing a song for us. We're, we're gonna take a moment and I want you to do what you need to do to recognize that Jesus wants to meet you where you are. Whether you're full of faith tonight, you have no heartbreak and you never have, Jesus wants to meet you there. Whether your heart's broken and shattered and you don't know where to go, Jesus wants to meet you there. Whether you're dead like Lazarus, guess what? Jesus wants to meet you there. If you're like me, and sometimes you don't realize that there's a light at the end of the tunnel or that there's an end of the tunnel in the first place, Jesus doesn't want to call you to the light. He wants to get in the tunnel with you. He didn't call us to handle this heartbreak and get through it. He called us to let him into it. We see this in, in Revelations chapter three, uh, when Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. He's talking about staying at the door of your heart. And it doesn't say of your pure heart or your faithful heart or your super well-groomed, knowledgeable, clean, never heartbroken heart. It's your heart. All the mess, all the pain, all the pettiness, all the grime, all the grit, all the forgotten years. He stands there and he knocks. All you have to do is let him in. There's a, a thought sometimes that when we're heartbroken, we're useless. And I want to challenge that for you tonight. I want to say something completely different. I want to say that if you're heartbroken, that's the moment that God can actually start to use you. Because when you don't see the light, when, when you're not standing on your own two feet, you get to use his light and you get to stand on his feet. You get to be carried by a God who's not scared of your pain, by a God who's not scared to walk to the city that's gonna stone him, that's gonna crucify him in just a few months. 
See, see what I love about this right here is if you look at John chapter 11, it says the seventh sign, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, the, the book of John is actually split up into these major miracles that Jesus did. You know, the first one, water to wine. Trust me, it's hard. I've tried it. Um, the second one heals a man's son without even seeing him. Never came in contact with him at all. Just says, your, your son's healed. Go on. Um, the third one, a lame man is walking. Guy can't walk. Now he can. He probably run too. Jesus does good work. The fourth one, five loaves, two fish. Now feed 5,000 people and their families. <laughs> Can you explain it? No. Right? Um, fifth one. He goes Chris Angel on us and he walks on water. <laughs> um, he actually walks on water in a storm. You know, you can't explain that. Beyond that, the sixth one, a man born blind, never having seen before, he can see. The seventh one, he raises someone from the dead four days after they died. And you'd think it'd be enough for us to believe. It, here's where the story of what happens to Lazarus doesn't exactly reckon with us a little bit now, is it took four days for Jesus to heal Lazarus, but it took one moment of faith for him to heal me. It, after the cross, after Jesus left, he sent his spirit into the world, and his spirit is what's standing there right now. It's standing there right now, knocking. It's gone through your mess. It's gone through your, your things that you've put in front of him. Man, is God good, even when we don't feel like he is. So tonight, we're going to sing the song. I want you to do what you need to do, whether you need to get on your knees at Jesus' feet, whether you need to get some space and just let him know you're angry or you're broken or you're hurt, or you just need to thank him for what he's done. I, I think I can speak for him when I say he wants to meet you where you are. And I guarantee you he will because he's done it for me. So let's sing this and uh, I'll be back up.